Sorry, lady. Um, we're uh, starting a new series today, so we've wrapped up our series, The Culture Wars, and today we're jumping into an Easter series called The Last Week, and so my intentions, my plan is to travel through the second half of the Gospel of John, looking at the life of Jesus um, in the last week of his life. So we'll start today um, with his interaction on Saturday, where he comes to heal a guy, or to raise from the dead, a guy named Lazarus. And uh, from there on, we'll see him in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then many of the things that happened during the last week, days of his life leading up to the cross and uh, Easter Sunday. So um, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 11. Um, we're going to be reading a couple select verses here. I believe it starts at verse 25. I'm going to ask if you would, as is our custom to stand for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 11. Uh, beginning at verse 25. This is Jesus speaking to Martha, and uh, he makes a declaration about himself and then poses a question to her. Let's see what that was. Here it is, Matthew or John chapter 11, verse 25. Yep. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so I want to backtrack a little bit to move forward to this particular verse and then a little bit on beyond it to see how the story wraps up. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip back to verse 1 of chapter 11. Um, and there we, uh, the story of raising Lazarus from the dead begins. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha, we have a map for you, I think we have a map for you, yep we do, and uh, of Israel, and you can see just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem, due east of Jerusalem on that map, is the city of Bethany, and this is where uh, Lazarus was from. Um, it's a suburb of Jerusalem, so Lazarus lived out in the suburbs, you might say. Verse 2, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 3, so the sisters sent out word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So we learn here that Mary and Martha are sisters of Lazarus, the guy who's not well. And Mary and Martha send word out through a courier or through somebody in their home that has special interest in this, a word out to Jesus to let him know that Lazarus is not sick. He's really not doing well at all. Looks like he's coming toward the end of his life, Jesus. Could you make your way here to where Lazarus is so that you can... Help us out. Verse 4. When Jesus heard this, he said to his disciples, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that the, so, that, so, that the, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So the courier comes in with his message to Jesus. He walks into Jesus' camp. The disciples are gathered there, and he says, hey, look, this guy named Lazarus, I know he's a really good friend of yours. I was sent by his sisters to let you know that Lazarus is not well. And Jesus responds, verse 6, Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now this is a really important point that's made in the story that Jesus delays going to go visit Lazarus. He delays going to go heal Lazarus from his sickness by two days. Um, it says, uh, uh, in fact, Jesus knows that, G that Lazarus is already dead. This is perhaps the part of the reason why. Uh, he decides, hey, look, I'm not going to go see Lazarus because Lazarus has died already. Verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, 
but I'm going to go there to wake him up. And the disciples, being a little bit slow, verse 12, they're like, hey, that's great. You know, he needs some rest, Jesus. So that's good if he sleeps. Maybe he'll get better, you know, laying there in the bed and having people take care of him. But they didn't understand what Jesus meant, verse 13, that he had been speaking about Lazarus's death. But his disciples thought that he meant that he was just naturally asleep. So Jesus, to bring the disciples up to speed, says to them, verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus, guys, he's already dead. So now everybody knows what we're talking about here. So Jesus and the disciples finally set out for Bethany to go see uh, the family, uh, Mary and Martha. And let's take a look at our map again one more time. Um, Jesus and the disciples are on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee when this incident takes place. And so they have to travel from the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee south down toward Jerusalem and then make their way through Jerusalem two miles out to the east to the city of Bethany. This is about a two-day's journey on foot, which is how Jesus and the disciples would have made their way there. So my point in saying that is that Jesus delayed. So, so the courier arrives. He announces that uh, Lazarus is sick. Jesus, we need you to come. Jesus realizes um, probably in the last hour, maybe in the last couple hours, who knows, but that this guy Lazarus has already expired. He's already died. Jesus delays two days. So that's two. And then he's going to travel for two days to go see Lazarus. That's two more. So a grand total of, <clears throat> uh, there we go. Y'all are listening. That's good. So a grand total of four days that Lazarus has been dead by the time that Jesus arrives to do whatever it is that he's going to do. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 18, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And because it was so close, many of the Jews who had known Lazarus, who had known Mary and Martha, had come out from Jerusalem uh, to pay their respects for the loss of their brother. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home, perhaps because she's not real happy with Jesus in this moment. Verse 21 Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This wouldn't have happened if you had come, uh, if you had, you knew he wasn't well, you're God in the flesh. If you had come, this would never have happened. Verse 22, but I know even now that God will give you whatever it is that you ask. Um, and so Jesus, I'm asking you, please. Ask God the Father in heaven to raise Lazarus up from the dead. And so then Jesus responds with what we read a few moments ago, verse 25. He says, Martha, you're basically, you're shortchanging me. Don't you know who I am? I am the resurrection and the life. Um, in other words, I don't have to ask the Father to be able to raise this guy up from the dead. I can do this. I already have that authority. I can do that all by myself. On another occasion, Jesus said the same thing. John chapter 5, verse 21, he said, Just as the Father raised the Son and gives him life, even so, just the same, the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So the Son can do this as well. Really important point here. When it came to the resurrection, what's Jesus trying to do here? He's trying to convert Martha from believing in a doctrine about the resurrection of the dead to believing in a person. You see the difference? He's trying to convert her from believing that, yeah, people will be raised back to life. God the Father is going to do that someday to believing that Jesus is the one who will do that so that Jesus is the person who will cause that to happen. And so Jesus asks her, verse 26, do you believe this, that whoever lives and believes in me, that that person will never die? 
Mary says, yes, of course I do. Verse 27, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus has Mary right where he wants to have Mary. That is believing in himself, believing that Jesus is the way to everlasting life. So Martha, she gets word back to Sister Mary that, hey, Jesus is here. And Martha's like, eh, or Mary's like, okay, well, I'll come on out and see him. And you can imagine, she's got all these people from Jerusalem that have come out to pay their respects. They're there at the home. They brought meals. People are gathered together. And she's in this four days of grieving now. And uh, so they come out with her from the house. And um, they're following in tow behind uh, Mary. And so she falls down when she finally sees Jesus. Verse 32, she falls down at his feet and says, Lord, if you had only been here, Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? My brother would still be alive. My brother would not have died. It's the same concern that Martha had had. Lord, if you had been here, you would have been the difference maker. None of this would have happened. All this grief that I have, all this, 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 this distress that we're feeling, none of it would have had to have taken place, Lord, if you had just come. And so Jesus, responding to all the grief that he sees, to the hurt in their lives, he says in the shortest verse in the Bible, right? John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept and upon seeing this all those people that had come out with mary from jerusalem upon seeing jesus deeply moved at the love of his friend uh the scriptures recognize that they saw how much he loved lazarus and what a great friend lazarus must have been to jesus as he stood there and wept and so then jesus turns his attention to the tomb right turns his attention to the tomb and he tells the guys hey roll that stone away let's get lazarus out of there verse 39 but lord they object I mean, by this time, there's a bad odor. I mean, you know how this works, Lord. The body's in there. It's decaying. Uh, he's been in there for four days now, they say. Verse 40. Did I not tell you, Jesus said, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Move that stone, girl. Get that thing out of there, right? So they move the stone. Last verse, or last section here, verse 43. Jesus lets out a great shout. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the tomb. It says, verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let's go get some dinner, right? Because I'm sure he's hungry. He's been in there for four days. Guy hasn't eaten. I'm sure his stomach is uh, ready for, for a bite to eat. And so he's famished. I mean, he's, just been, he's been dead for four days. So let's get, him, get some energy going back in this guy. And so the result of all this, it says, verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come out from Jerusalem, who were part of this gathering this group that came out with Mary uh, to visit, had seen what Jesus did, and they put their faith in him. Well, duh, I bet they did, right? I mean, he had just, this guy had been dead for four days. And all of a sudden, he comes walking out of the tomb. I bet they put their faith in Jesus. Um, did Jesus turn Lazarus's death into a moment of maximum glory for himself? sure did just like he said he was going to do he said guys look an opportunity's come our way right uh when the courier arrives an opportunity's come our way for me to show the maximum amount of glory unto myself and so he brought a bunch of people into believing in himself as a result of this amazing miracle okay well that's our passage for today and so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here the most important question what difference does all this make to my life. You say, Gordon, I mean, that's really amazing. Jesus is amazing. He raised a guy from the dead that had been dead for four days, brought him right up out of that tomb. That was remarkable. But I mean, that was Lazarus. That was over 2,000 years ago, about 2,000 years ago. What difference does any of this make to me today? 
Well, let's talk about that. You know, you remember we noted earlier that Jesus delayed his arrival in Bethany. He could have jumped up as soon as he had gotten word. He knew that Lazarus had already died, but he knew that there was also people grieving. He also knew that there were people hurting. He knew that his loved ones were suffering and that they were deep. They were wanting to see Jesus. They were wanting for him to come and to comfort them. He could have done more than comforted them. He could have come and raised Lazarus from the dead and ended their grief much sooner, much earlier, without all of the fuss that, had, that happened. But he didn't. He chose to hang back. He delayed his trip by two days. Um, well, Mary and Martha were really unhappy about this, right? They, were both, they both said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, you'd gotten up off your duff and come to help us out. This situation would never have unfolded like this. You could have at least been here to comfort us. And so what are they accusing Jesus of? Well, number one, they're accusing Jesus of being late. Number two, they're accusing Jesus of messing everything up, right? They had their plan of how they thought this should go. Jesus should have shown up. He should have healed Lazarus. Well, goodness, if he didn't show up to heal Lazarus, he could have raised him from the dead a lot sooner, and we could have spent two less days having to uh, feel all this grief. They had a plan. They had an expectation, and Jesus messed all that up, and they're not happy about it. Jesus didn't do what they wanted Jesus to do when they wanted Jesus to do it. And friends, this is not just a problem that Mary and Martha have. This is a problem that Gordon Griffin has. Okay? Um, in almost every situation, I know exactly what I want God to do, and I know exactly when I want God to do it, right? I want him to do it when? Right now. That's right, right now. But you know what? In almost every situation, just like with Mary and Martha, God makes me wait. And that drives me crazy. Does that not drive you crazy? That drives me crazy. I'm like, I mean, anybody else can relate to this? Maybe I feel like one person, two no. Well, that raises the question, why didn't Jesus just go to Bethany? Why didn't he just heal Lazarus sooner? Why didn't he just speak the word from the northeast or northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee? Lazarus be raised from the dead, and all of a sudden, Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Why didn't he do that? It's a really good question. Well, the answer comes to us from Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8. Um, God is talking to Isaiah here, and God says to Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways or neither are your ways my ways. Verse 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I would add that God's timing is better than our timing. You see, friends, the reason why Jesus delayed in going to see Lazarus is because with God, timing is everything. Timing is everything. Listen, Jesus didn't want to go to Bethany when Lazarus was still living and then heal him. He wanted to go to Bethany after Lazarus had been dead and been good and dead now for four days um, such that he could receive the maximum amount of glory for himself so that more people, people would say, well, somebody was probably hiding out there in the, in the tomb with him for a couple of days, maybe feeding him a little bit, giving him a little bit of something to drink, or maybe he was like mostly dead but not all the way dead, and then Jesus just brought him back from the mostly dead state. You know, but Jesus is like, no, four days in the tomb, nobody could argue with a stone in front of it. Nobody had been in there. Nobody had seen in there. Nobody could argue with Jesus that this great miracle had just happened. And so as followers of Christ, we need to learn a lesson from John chapter 11, that with God, timing is everything. And so what that means is that just like Mary and Martha had to wait 
and had to suffer and had to hurt and had to grieve. God is willing, friends, to let us go through that in order to get the timing just right. It may seem unfair. Certainly felt unfair to Mary and Martha. It may seem unkind. We see them acknowledging that. Because here we are suffering, but with God, this is about His glory. We live, you know, our lives, He's our Creator, right? Our lives are to be poured out for Him and for His glory. And if that means that God needs to leave me in my problems just a little while longer, maybe for another year, who knows? Then God, my aim in life is that you receive the maximum amount of glory. God, I'll wait on you. David encourages us in this. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 7. He says, be still before the Lord and wait. How? Patiently. Patiently? I mean, that's an un-American word, is it not? Patiently. He wants to wait patiently. In America, we don't wait for anything, right? We got instant grits. We got instant oatmeal. We got instant coffee. We got fast food service. We want everything and we want it right now. That's how we want it. That's, but the Bible says that we are to wait patiently upon the Lord. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 23, the last little part of that verse says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Friends, one thing that this verse declares, or these verses declare, is that God is never early. I don't it's no one time in the whole of Scripture where God shows up early and it's like, oh, well, you missed him, sorry. That never happens. It never happens in the Scriptures. And then by the same token, never do we see in Scripture that God shows up late. God always shows up right on time. And the reason for God acting the way he acts is so that he can receive the maximum amount of glory. Remember Moses? He and the Israelites were pinned up against the Red Sea. They showed up. They got nowhere to go. Pharaoh's armies bearing down on them. But they had been there for a while. And God could have opened the Red Sea and avoided the big panic and the big crisis, right? But instead, God allowed the scenario to unfold where, Moses, where the armies of Pharaoh come right on the heels of the people of Israel. He sticks that pillar of fire out there and holds back Pharaoh's army. And there's the people of Israel crying out to God in total panic to God. And finally, God parts the Red Sea, right? And they get to go through the Red Sea. And uh, again, God could have opened up the sea a lot earlier, avoided all the difficulty, um, but he chose not to. Why? Because the next thing you know, Pharaoh's army rushes through the Red Sea after the Israelites on the other side. The sea closes in around them, and that's the end of Pharaoh. Friends, if God had done it any other way, Pharaoh would have found his way around the Red Sea. He would have been pursuing after the Israelites, and they'd have to deal with him again sometimes later. But again, God's timing is perfect, right on schedule. Think, for example, about the story of Ruth and Naomi. They arrive back in Bethlehem. They're totally destitute. I'm sure that they thought God was late for them, right? And yet, here comes Boaz. God's right on schedule. Think about Uncle Mordecai, right? Uncle Mordecai's there, and he's a leader amongst the Jewish people. And then comes this guy named Haman, and he gets the king to issue this edict that all the Jewish people are to be exterminated in the whole of the empire. And uh, uh, Esther, you know, and so Mordecai's thinking, God, you waited too late, right? You should have done something about Haman before this edict ever got issued out. But then Esther comes walking in. She has her conversation with the king. And next thing you know, Haman's the one who's hanging from the gallows, and the Jewish people are saved, they're spared. God was right on schedule. Think about it. 
Many of us plan by this point in our life to be making more money, to be further along in our career. Many of us plan to have a house full of children, but those things perhaps haven't happened for us yet. Many of us plan to be more financially secure. By this point, we plan to attend a certain college, but for whatever reason, that hasn't happened for us yet. Friends, the point is that God has a better way of getting us to where it is that we're going in a way that will bring Him maximum glory. That you and I could never devise in and of our own schemes. And so because of that, if the goal of our life is to bring God glory, then we will be willing to wait on the Lord, even if that means that we have to wait years. Listen, there are plenty of people out there who believe in God's will for their life, but there are far fewer people who believe in God's timing for their life. And so that's why we need to ask every time we're facing something and making a big decision, is this God's will? But then we need to follow it up with, is this God's timing? It might be God's will, but just not yet. And so we need to be willing to say, look, I know God, it's your will, but I'm going to wait on your timing. You say, Gordon, I get that. I see what you're saying, but there's a problem I'm having is that how do I know when it's the difference between when it's God's will and it's God's timing? How do I know that it's God's will, but then it's just not the right time for that to happen yet? How do I know that? Well, a couple of things here. Sometimes God tells us to wait through circumstances not going our way. Sometimes there are roadblocks that are thrown up in front of us that we can't control, and those things cause us to have to wait, right? You didn't get the promotion. Some authority figure in your life is saying, no, not yet. Perhaps you didn't get accepted into the college that was your first choice. It doesn't mean that you won't ever get into that school. However, the timing for it is not right yet. The danger is when we take matters into our own hands and try to make the future that we want to see happen, happen on our own accord. Sometimes circumstances, friends, can be a way that God says for us to wait. One other way that God says for us to wait and lets us know the difference between his will and his timing is through his own direct communication to our heart, through his own direct communication to our heart. And this is the most common way that he uses. Psalm 32 and verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. God said, I will counsel you and watch over you. Friends, get on your knees and God will communicate with your heart directly. By spending time on your knees, you will learn to develop a listening ear that can hear God's voice. It will happen he will communicate with your heart directly about what his will is and about what his timing is all right let's wrap this up when god made mary and martha wait to act on him to act it wasn't because he had forgotten about them it wasn't because he was uncaring or insensitive or didn't you know have concern for their grief that's not what it was it was because he was setting everything up so that he could get the maximum amount of glory out of the situation and if mary and martha or if like mary and martha you're a follower of christ and you've been waiting on jesus to do something and you've been waiting and you've been waiting for god to do what it is that you would like for him to do what it is that you need for him to do and you're growing tired of that you're growing weary of that you're growing frustrated of that you're growing disillusioned in that you're growing confused in that listen god wants you to know god wants you to know that he has not forgotten about you god wants you to know that he does care about your needs and he cares about your pain and he cares about your hurt it's just that he's getting everything lined up to give himself 
the maximum amount of glory through your healing. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 23 says, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. God is never early and God is never late. Let's pray together. Lord, as Americans, we want to have everything right now. We know so much of that and so little of what it means to wait. Lord, our desire is to be biblical Christians. People who know what it is to wait upon the Lord. God, you know that there is agony in waiting. Mary and Martha experienced that. Lord, you know that there's suffering in waiting. You know that there's anxiousness in waiting. God, we pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts as we wait. Lord, may we be found like Job to be faithful to you. May we be found like Ruth and Naomi to have kept our faith in you through the storm, through that time of waiting, so that you can receive on the other side the maximum amount of glory. Lord, we uh, come around this table now to remember your broken body and your shed blood. God, we ask that as we uh, participate in this meal together, that your goodness, that your mercy would just wrap us up this morning, that you would minister to our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.